This is Paul writing to the Galatians. Uh, chapter 4, starting at verse 12. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, and not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way. His son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman, who bears no children, Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labour pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance of the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Chapter 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the, sorry, through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision are of any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. 
you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Uh, Would you please join with me in prayer? Uh, Our gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its uh, truthfulness, for its clarity, for its power, by your spirit to change our minds and change our hearts. And it is that which we pray for now. In Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says that all who seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How do you feel about that, by the way? I mean, uh, it makes kind of makes sense when you think about it, uh, because if uh, if who we are as people, if the way that we think and the way that we behave uh, is shaped by the gospel then uh, we should be different to other people shouldn't we that should be something which um, uh, which which makes us stand out as being different uh, amongst uh, the uh, particularly amongst the non-christians that we mix with on a on a regular basis and some people really respect that Um, Some people see the difference that Christ makes in our lives and are drawn to it, and are drawn to Christ through it. But not everyone. Um, Other people can feel exposed by it. They feel exposed by our presence, by our beliefs, by our behaviour, and they can then treat us accordingly. Sometimes... And this may be your experience. Sometimes we can feel alienated um, because we believe the gospel of Jesus. Have you found that? I'm sure you have. But what if that alienation uh, came not from people outside the church, but rather from people inside the church? I mean, uh, one of the reasons why we value Christian fellowship so much is that uh, when we get together, when we're with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can be ourselves, can't we? We can speak freely to one another about the Lord Jesus Christ. We can speak freely about the gospel and know that in doing so that we, we kind of recharge one another, we reinvigorate one another, we encourage one another so that we can actually be more godly when we are amongst our non-Christian friends. And so imagine the opposite happening. Imagine that you were alienated by people inside the church because you believed the gospel. Is that possible? How, How could that be? Well, when the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia, This was actually something which was happening to him. And shockingly, uh, 
he was being, he was alienated uh, from people who, uh, who had, had believed the gospel, uh, who had trusted in Jesus, and who actually had loved the Apostle Paul. Um, and they'd loved him because it was he who preached the gospel to them. Um, check out, if you open up your Bibles at Galatians uh, 4, check out how Paul described what his relationship with the Galatian Christians once was. And I'm going to pick it up at verse 12, where he says, I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I was an angel from God, as if I was Christ Jesus himself. Now, how would you describe that relationship? It sounds like a pretty good relationship, doesn't it? Sounds like a great relationship. I mean, we don't know all of the details about... Uh, how Paul connected with these particular uh, churches in Galatia. But what we can see from uh, this is that Paul was there and he was sick and these Galatians, they looked after him and he preached the gospel to them and they trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and it was a great relationship. What, how does he describe uh, their attitude towards him? They honoured him. Uh, they, traded, they treated Paul in the same way that they would treat an angel. They treated Paul in the same way that they would treat the Lord Jesus Christ himself. How about that? Now, um, just to clarify, this is not idolatrous. <laughs> it's not that they were worshipping the Apostle Paul. Uh, it's, it, it reflects the, the reality that when we share the gospel with someone... They're, the way that they respond to us is actually a reflection of the way that they respond to the Lord Jesus Christ himself um, by either um, rejection. So when you are rejected because you've shared the gospel with people, that's, don't take too personally, that's a rejection of Jesus. Uh, when you are loved because you've shared the gospel, that's a reflection of the love that the people have uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so that is how that relationship was. The Galatians trusted in Jesus and they loved Paul. But not now. Now, um, have you ever had a friendship which has turned sour and you don't have the foggiest idea why that's happened? You don't know why the person's turned cold on you. Well, uh, <clears throat> Peter Charles keeps on telling me, Scott, whenever you find yourself in that situation, think triangles. Think who the other person is in this relationship. Who's causing that to happen? Hello, Peter, if you're watching us online. Uh, well, Paul's relationship with the Galatians had turned sour. He'd become aware of that. Even though he's at a distance from them, he, he knows that he's, he's detected somehow that there is now this lack of joy and there's this coldness towards him and so in verse 16, he asks what really would be an awful question to have to ask. Do you see it? He says to the Galatian churches, Have I now become your enemy 
by telling you the truth? Sounds like he knows the answer to that question, doesn't it? But how this has happened is actually no mystery to Paul. And Paul knows, we've seen throughout the letter, <clears throat> that some false Christians have uh, um, somehow <coughs> infiltrated the Galatian churches, uh, telling people that, the, that trusting in the death and the resurrection of Jesus is not enough to be saved. Uh, if you're a Jew who trusts in Jesus, you have to keep on obeying the Old Testament food laws and so on. Uh, if you're a Gentile uh, who, who wants to be saved, then you have to trust in Jesus, plus you now have to start obeying um, some of the Old Testament laws. Specifically, it's trusting in Jesus plus kosher foods. <laughs> plus abstaining from certain foods. And if you're a male, it's trusting in Jesus, plus also getting circumcised in order to be saved. Now, this is a, um, this is a different gospel to the gospel which Paul preached, uh, but that's, this is the message, this is the gospel which these false Christians want the Galatians to believe and in order to achieve that, because they know that there is a strong loving relationship between the Galatians and Paul, in order to achieve their goal of getting them to believe a different gospel, they have to um, drive a wedge, drive a relational wedge uh, between the Galatians and the Apostle Paul. They are that third person in that triangle, destroying that relationship. Have a look at verse 17, uh, where Paul speaks about them and their motivations. And he says, Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us, Paul and his co-workers, so that you may be zealous for, what does it say? For them. <laughs> now, Paul's no fool, is he? I mean, he sees straight through these people. Uh, they, may be, they may be very um, gifted. <clears throat> they may be very knowledgeable. Uh, they may be very zealous and charming. But it's wrongful zeal because it's all about them. It's a scam, basically. They're love-bombing the Galatians uh, in order to... Well, it's a scam. It's a scam. They have alienated Paul from the Galatians so as to gratify their own sinful desire to have followers, to have people who are zealous for them. Paul says, they are zealous for you so that you may be zealous for them. That's intrinsically self-centred, isn't it? But Paul has a different kind of zeal. Check it out in verse 19. He goes on saying, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you, 
How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. Um, how does Paul describe his zeal for them? Well, it, it's very different from the uh, zeal of the scammers, isn't it? Um, it's, a, it's not the easy, uh, self-centred zeal of the false teachers. Uh, it's zeal which he describes as being like the agony of childbirth. Now, that is zeal on a, on a completely different sphere, isn't it? <laughs> completely different. It's, it is entirely selfless. It's painful. And its purpose, notice the mixed metaphor here, is that Christ would be formed in them. That Christ would be formed in them. That's Paul's goal, that uh, the death of Christ to completely pay for their sins would be at the very heart, the very essence of who they are. Just as they once were like. They were once like that. But now Paul says in verse 20 that he is perplexed by them. He doesn't get it. Well, he doesn't... He wants them to see how it is that they're just not getting it. Um, tell me, he says in verse 21, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law actually says? <laughs> That's a good question, isn't it? Because our, our pride uh, keeps on telling us that, uh, that there's something good about us, that there's something meritable about us, uh, that we... You know, that we've got the merit certificates that Benjamin was talking about last week. Uh, our pride tells us that we can actually contribute something to our salvation. Indeed, that we must contribute something for, to our salvation. That we must do something to add to what Christ has done to make us worthy. And we can do that. And obeying the Old Testament laws? Well... It sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? It sounds so convincing, especially when we're being charmed by those who are dislodging our relationship with the one who actually does preaching the gospel. All I need to do is trust in Christ, plus obey these food laws, plus get the surgery. Paul says, really? Really? Do you actually know what the law says? And so he then explains to them something of what the law actually says. And here, notice that he doesn't go to Moses with the legislation and the rules and regulations. No, he goes further back in the Old Testament. He goes to the book of Genesis uh, and speaks about Abraham. Check it out in verse 22. For it is written <clears throat> that Abraham had two sons. One by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. Now, what are the three big promises that uh, God gave to Abraham? A people, a land, and a, and a blessing. A people, a land, and a blessing. Uh, Paul here focuses on the idea of the people, that there would be a people of God, a, pe a special people of God. And the, the big promise that, uh, that uh, is connected with 
is that God made the promise to Abraham that he would have many descendants. Now, the Jews, um, the people of Israel, were the physical descendants of Abraham. And it's uh, reasonable to, uh, to, to believe that these people who were um, stirring up trouble in the Galatian church uh, were Jewish, uh, Jews who had uh, uh, <coughs> connected themselves with the Christian church. And the, the Jews could rightfully say that they were um, the physical descendants of Abraham and that in that sense that Abraham was their father. But here, it's not who your father is that counts. The big question, says Paul, is who is your mother? Who is your mother? Now, you may recall the story that God had promised um, that Abraham's wife Sarah uh, would have a son. And humanly speaking, that seemed to be at least um, highly unlikely. Uh, when he made that promise, uh, Sarah was, um, was barren. She had never, she'd been trying for kids, but she'd never had any children. And now she was into her old age. And God made this promise. Seemed highly unlikely. Um, and then after waiting uh, for a long time and trying... Uh, that promise was not fulfilled. And so Sarah decided to take things into her, her own hands and what she did was she gave her slave woman, her maidservant, Hagar, to Abraham. She gave Abraham permission to sleep with, with Hagar and uh, to conceive a child through her. And that's what happened. The morality in all this is dreadful, isn't it? <laughs> and, you, you know, um, but the, the issue here is important. Uh, Hagar gave birth to a son whose name uh, was Ishmael. But God told Abraham after the birth of Ishmael that it was not through the, um, the slave woman and the slave woman's son that the promise would be fulfilled, that the promise he made was a promise that Sarah would have a child. And sure enough, 14 years later, when Sarah is even more elderly than what she was, she actually gave birth to a son, Isaac. Now, um, what then is the relevance of all of this? Well, in verse 23, Paul's point is that Ishmael was born naturally by human effort, whereas in verse 29, Isaac was born supernaturally by the power of the Spirit. And at Sarah's age, it was supernatural. It was miraculous. It was by the power of the Spirit that she gave birth. And so, there are two women, two mothers, if you like, who in verse 24 represent two different covenants. Uh, let me read to you from verse 24 through to verse 26. 
And these things may be taken figuratively. For the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. (laughs) Well, there's a lot packed into that, isn't there? But bottom line is this. Hagar represents the covenant that God gave Moses at Mount Sinai, which means that she represents the law of Moses. And by implication, uh, she represents the city of Jerusalem because it is the city of Jerusalem uh, which uh, is at the heart of, uh, of Judaism. The city of Jerusalem with its temple, with its priests, with its sacrificial system. And Hagar represents these things and she is a slave woman and her child is born into slavery and he's born through human effort. And this says Paul is like people who want to be part of God's people, God's special people, but they think that the way to do that uh, is through human effort, through rituals, through food laws, through circumcision. And Paul's saying here that that is actually slavery, that they may think that they're children of Abraham for doing so, but the children of Abraham, not really. They are actually children, remember it's who your mother is that counts, they are actually children of Hagar. They are slaves to their legalism. They're not free. Whereas Sarah is actually a free woman whose son was born through the power of the Spirit. How do, who does she represent? What does she represent? Well, she doesn't represent the slavery to the law, but she represents the freedom which comes through the promise of God. Now, what has God promised us? Well, in essence, bottom line is that God has promised us that the death of Jesus on the cross has actually fulfilled all of the requirements of the law, that we we were once under bondage to sin and destined for an eternal uh, eternity without God, but by Christ's death and resurrection, by him having paid the penalty for our sin, we have been freed. We're not in slavery to sin and to death and to condemnation. We are now free from all of that. So that by trusting in the promise of the gospel we become the true children of Abraham, whose mother is not Hagar, but Sarah. And so if you believe in the gospel of Jesus, if you experience and have that freedom, you are a true child of Abraham by faith, not by works. 
born like Isaac to the free woman, born by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, what does all of this then have to do with being alienated um, by others for believing the gospel um, and particularly being alienated by people who claim to be children of Abraham, um, people who are even inside the church? Well, it's about the relationship, the half-brother relationship between Isaac and Ishmael. Um, Coming with me back to the passage, uh, in verse 28... Uh, Paul goes on saying, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. That's us if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. And get this, Paul says, it is the same now. It hasn't stopped. Now, in Genesis chapter 21, um, Abraham... um, threw a party uh, for his son Isaac when uh, Isaac was old enough to have been weaned off his mother. And uh, Ishmael, his 14-year-old half-brother and the son of the slave woman, saw that this party was being thrown for for Isaac and he took offence at that. Uh, He became jealous of that party being thrown for Isaac And uh, we're told that he mocked Isaac. And it was upon that basis that he was actually expelled um, from the camp. And Paul says it's just like people today who are enslaved by religion of human effort. It's the same in Paul's day, it's the same in our day because there are plenty of people in churches today who don't believe the gospel who believe in a a, um, salvation by good works, that if I go to church, uh, if I perform certain ceremonies, if I, you know, have the Lord's Supper, um, if I do this or that, if I give money to the church, then, yeah, of course, I'll be in heaven. Uh, Or if I'm being good enough, then, of course, I'll be in heaven. Um, If I even believe in heaven. (laughs) And... uh, I've met people like this. Believe me, I've met quite a few of them. (laughs) And I can assure... Inside the church. And I can assure you it would be a far more pleasant experience to not preach the gospel to them. (laughs) But not if you want people to be saved. Not if you want that. Why is it so? Why are people like this? Well, if if you go down to chapter 5, verse 11 we see that it is because the cross of Christ is offensive. It is offensive by its very nature. Some people wear a cross around their neck like it's a piece of jewellery. But the cross of Jesus actually says something about us, about who we are. What does it say about us? It says that we are sinful. Uh, It says that we have broken God's law more times than we could ever possibly imagine in our wildest dreams because we are so um, unaware of the holiness of God and unaware of the blackness of our own hearts. We deserve God's judgment. And there's nothing which we can do to fix that. (laughs) No good works 
no religious ceremonies can ever blot out our sin. What we need, of course, is a saviour. <laughs> and that is so offensive to the proud person, the self-made person, the person who thinks that it's all about them, the third person who, who uh, revels in their achievements and their, their supposed morality, the person for whom Jesus is a part of their religious system but they want to close the deal with God themselves. And so they cling to their rituals and, and they, they despise the claim that God freely forgives others who simply trust in Jesus. I've noticed this, that when someone claims that... For example, when someone who's a convicted criminal... Um, <clears throat> turns to Christ. <clears throat> some of us rejoice in that, don't we? I've noticed some other people in the church have shook their heads and said, no, no, it's not on. They don't like the fact, they despise the fact that God freely forgives sinners because it challenges their whole view of who they are and how they think that you get right with God. Heather, Heather picked up on the point that Paul is quite passionate in this passage. Um, did you notice Paul's passion? Uh, the, the false teachers, they, they wanted the Galatians to get circumcised to be saved, but what is it that Paul wants for the Galatians, for the, for the false teachers? Uh, in verse five, verse, chapter 5, verse 12, he says, these people who want you to get circumcised in order to be saved, I wish they would go the whole way and, and emasculate themselves. Now, um, <clears throat> some of the commentators uh, find this to be a little bit impolite of Paul and they try to explain it away in terms of things like pagan priests castrated themselves and wishes, they wish Paul's wishing that these people just could realise that they're just like pagan priests and uh, they try to, they, they think, they, they, they try to um, soften it uh, as if Paul's not saying what he clearly seems to be saying <laughs> and I'm not going to spell it out for you. <laughs> I don't need to. Why is he so strong? Why does he feel this way? Well, the reason is this, friends. The reason is that the false teachers have not just alienated the Galatians from Paul, if that was all that they'd done, I don't think Paul would be too bothered about that. No, what they've done is far worse than that. They've not just alienated the Galatians from Paul, they are alienating the Galatians from Christ. That's what they're doing. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 2. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law 
have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Now, there's quite a few issues where Christians can disagree and still be Christians. But this is not one of them. If someone tells you that in order to be saved that you have to believe in Christ plus do something yourself in order to contribute to your salvation, then that person who is speaking to you is not a Christian. They're not a Christian. They are children of Hagar. Let's be clear about this. Let's be razor sharp about this because this is something which Paul emphasises. Did you notice the emphasis in what he's just said? They may seem to be Christians. They may seem to be very spiritual. They may even be the pastor of a church. But if they want to add works, our works, to the work of Christ on the cross then they do not believe in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. They do not believe that his death has already closed the deal. They are not Christians and you should ignore them. You should repudiate them. They don't believe the gospel. This gospel is that Jesus has already closed the deal. There's nothing that needs to be added to what he's done. There's nothing which you can add to what he's, been, what he's done. So if someone tells you you must believe in Christ plus be baptised to be saved, you must believe in Christ plus be confirmed to be saved, you must believe in Christ plus go to the Lord's Supper to be saved, you must believe in Christ plus speak in tongues to be saved, they're the ones who are not saved. No, Christ has closed the deal because he is the sufficient sacrifice for all our sins. And that's the gospel. <laughs> and it's great news, isn't it? It's great news for us. You can, you can feel the anguish that the Apostle Paul has that the Galatians did actually believe this and now they're moving away from it. But it's great news for us. Because it means that rather than carrying the burden of even trying to earn God's favour, that we now live in freedom. Not the freedom to sin, but the joyful freedom <clears throat> which overflows uh, when we know what God in Christ has done for us. That all our sins, that all of our failings in the sight of God have been paid for. That we've been cleansed. That we no longer face a Christless eternity, but we now face and look forward to an eternity in the heavenly Jerusalem. That's freedom, isn't it? Do you enjoy that freedom? You experience that freedom. <laughs> it makes all of those other things seem ridiculous, doesn't it? Uh, redundant and unnecessary. Whether you're circumcised or not circumcised, says Paul, 
doesn't really matter. For in Christ Jesus, uh, Paul says in verse 6, that those things have no value. The only thing which counts is faith in Jesus expressing itself through love. That's what counts, isn't it? And so we're not different because we believe in Jesus plus we do all of these religious things um, that make us seem peculiar to others. Uh, We are different because we believe in Jesus and we, we love because we've know, we know the love of God in Christ, that we will be people who want to love one another, that we would be people who are outstanding in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools, uh, not just for our faith in Jesus, but for the love that we show to others and the forgiveness that we show to others because we know that we've been loved by Christ and his death on our behalf. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we uh, want to thank you for the completed work of Jesus. Father, we thank you that in him that we have freedom, the freedom of forgiveness, the freedom of a new life, the freedom of knowing that we are your people and that our home is the heavenly Jerusalem. Father, we pray for uh, ourselves that we would be clear on the gospel We pray that we would not be duped by those who would um, uh, infiltrate um, or seek to charm us away to other things, Um, but rather that uh, we would stand firm uh, for the the truth of the gospel of Jesus and that uh, we would express that truth by our love for others. We pray this in his name. Amen.